Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 505 of Linux in the Hamshack, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. And we're glad to have you back after our three-week hiatus uh, with Hamvention in the middle. And we're going to jump into that here in a second. But before we do, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. Cheryl, W5MOO, is on assignment for one more week. She'll be back next time around. I'm Russ, K5TUX. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. All right. So, well, two-thirds of us are back anyway. And uh, that's enough to put out an episode for sure. So let's go ahead and do that. We've come to our short topics episode because the last one we did was our over the air and uh or on the air rather and uh portable ops deep dive which uh we got some good feedback about so we should get into our short topics but we have one sort of medium length topic to hit and that is this past well not this past weekend well i guess it was this past weekend because this is the weekend so so hamvention was last weekend and uh, i guess we should probably talk a little bit about it before we move on to other things i i don't really have a lot to say about it that i didn't say about the last time mentioned other than it seemed like attendance was lower i have the numbers come out yet uh the numbers have not officially come out yet although you know i've still seen that thirty thousand mark is uh kind of the uh the what they're saying all right so that's that's probably in line with what it was last year it was what thirty two thousand or something in 2022 yeah, something like that. You know, they do base it on like ticket sales and ticket turn-ins and stuff like that. So it's uh, it can be like you know plus or minus. Yeah, some some random number. But I did notice, or at least it felt like the attendance of exhibitors was lower. Do, do you concur with that? Yeah, it definitely seemed like uh, we had some holes in our building that weren't filled. And then just kind of casually walking around, there was just seemed to be a little bit lighter in building one than uh, previous years. Although I think some some people took up more than one booth, uh, which maybe added to the kind of wide open feeling a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I, yeah, I definitely felt uh, a little a little less attended uh, uh, vendor wise. Yeah. I think uh, as far as traffic to our booth, it felt like it was a little lighter. Normally, Saturday is like the heavy day, but it felt to me like Friday was the heavy day this time. And the weather was good, so that didn't play a part in you know any lack of attendance that, that I think we could attribute to weather. Uh, it was actually quite comfortable and very little rain. The rain happened overnight. So uh, overall, I think it was good. I, I kind of like the new booth setup with the sort of inviting people in um i don't know that we're going to continue with doing that but there there were a couple of instances with uh, people who don't know what personal space is um but i think you're <laughs> going to find that in any situation really 
but for the most part, I think it worked out pretty well. Cheryl was a little bit at a loss trying to figure out where to be. So I don't know. Is there is there something you would change about about the way we did it? Go back to the old way? Do something hybrid or what? Well, like like, like I mentioned to you, that uh, especially with the personal space thing, uh, <laughs> it kind of felt. Um, yeah, like we were we were kind of in the way of the table and stuff like that, which uh, I think kind of led to that uh, um, really close in chat and stuff like that. Um, and I think also that probably led a little bit to Cheryl not being able to quite figure out where to go because, you know, um, if I moved over to the left more, then like we would all be blocking the table completely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a little weird. I mean, I liked it because it was, uh, you know, definitely invited people in to chat about stuff and uh, we weren't in the hallway, but, uh, you know, uh, in hindsight, uh, you know, we didn't have a booth across from us. So we had plenty of room for the hallway for people to stop and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think that's the only only negative thing I could say is that uh, yeah, it kind of we kind of created our own little problem there. I think. Yeah, the I I don't necessarily mind the the table in front. The only problem is it does it puts like almost a little too much distance between you know patrons and us, and I feel like I always have to like shout to be heard, and it definitely did not have to do that this time. But then it kind of almost went too far in the other direction. So I'm not sure where the sweet spot is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the play by year. I mean, you know, we've got a whole year to figure out what we need to uh, change, but I don't think we need to change much. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> right. I think you had just the right amount of uh, stuff uh, that you brought. Um, obviously, we didn't need the fan this time at all because uh, the weather was amazing. So uh, other than the fan, I think I think you had the right the right items there. Um yeah, that that's about all I could say about the booth itself. Um, but yeah, it looked great. I think it looked fantabulous. Yeah, I think the TV thing worked out well again this year. I think the fact that both of them worked helped out a lot. And uh, I like the fact that we had a lot of live demo going on at the same time. Plus, we were able to, you know, kind of switch it out if we needed to choose different things, show show different options, or even demonstrate software that people had questions about. Um, but also having your live station up there was really nice. And yeah, overall, I think I think the setup is good. The layout, you know, is pretty good. Obviously, needs a little bit of tweaking. Uh, I think it was generally uh, advantageous for everybody to to be able to see what we were showing. And uh, I think the booth did really well. The visitors were uh, engaged and uh, generous, as always. So we really appreciate that. And uh, overall, I think we'll we'll try and do something similar for twenty twenty four. And uh, I guess we need to be starting to get geared up for that already because it's only 357 days away. So, <laughs> yeah, the uh, the the Wi-Fi internet worked great. Uh, oh, that was fantastic! Yeah, we definitely want to uh, shout out to to Dara or whoever got that taken care of because last year it was uh, less than optimal, but this year we we could do it. Like there was no need of us paying the the fee the fairgrounds fee for the for the wired internet because the wireless was great yeah yeah we were able to keep uh, my station connected pretty much the entire time and you know even tracing out uh, uh sdr plus uh, plus waterfall looked pretty clean across the connection only only once in a while you notice a little bit of artifacting um to the machine but uh yeah oh, other than that it was uh, it was yeah perfect it was and people were like oh that's a real machine <laughs> it's like yeah it's it's actually connected to the radio and everything worked some ft8 while we were there so uh, uh all that worked as well 
And I mean, you you technically could have brought up your station too, right? So uh, you know, we could have had that going with your uh, grid tracker and everything else. Oh, uh, except if you don't have it hooked up, never mind. <laughs> right, I had everything powered off. But, but other than that, yes, I could have. So maybe next time I'll keep my station online as well, all that too. But we had we had a house sitter and. There's enough chaos and confusion in the house as it is, and I didn't know what the weather was going to be like here or anything like that. So, and our and our trip was extended since we started off in Kentucky for a couple of days as well. So, I thought it best to be safe and just power everything off and disconnect stuff. So, yeah, but perhaps not next time. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, the only thing I wanted to go back on a, on attendance was I, I really think that. Um, um, we were hurting with uh, traffic in Building Five because there really we really didn't have a, a decent anchor in that building, so there wasn't a lot of incentive for people to come in there and visit all the booths. Um, we did have our neighbor; they moved to Building Two. That's uh, Ham Radio Deluxe. Uh, they got a much larger space over there in Building Two. At least it looked larger. Yeah, I think they still had two booths probably accounted for, but I think they got a little extended space since they were in that uh, that corner that was opposite of where uh, Tom W5KUB was in the previous year. And of course, uh, you know, there were some people we didn't see. We didn't see Tom. He was not there. A lot of you probably saw his online, his live live coverage with remote uh, stations coming in with uh, live video of uh, of the Hamvention and stuff like that from uh, Jeff and all those guys. So that was that was kind of cool to kind of go back and and watch that from uh, from the perspective of uh, the other areas and the the flea market and stuff like that. Which I I never get a chance to go out to the flea market. I probably probably haven't been to the flea market at Hamvention since Darius or since uh, uh, uh it was over at, at the other place in Trotwood so yeah it was uh it would be nice if we had somebody somebody a little bit bigger in there i mean hf signals was in there across the uh across the way from us and that does spark a little interest uh, you know with the ubitx and and everything else so it was nice to see them there cuz i don't think they've been to the hamvention before not that i can recall um, we still had uh, Tapper down the hall from us, so that that did bring a little bit of traffic in there. But I think last few times we've had like at least a parts vendor was in there, you know, selling you know, uh, electric, you know, whatever cables and ends and stuff like that. And they took up a big section at the uh, <clears throat> the one end of the building, and that tends to bring people in, you know. So um, I think really, if they could do anything for that, they need to do something with Building Five. Um, I did speak with uh, Neil about that. And he was saying uh, uh, W8VPG, W8VPG, right? Is that right? W8VPG, something like that. <laughs> I never get his call right. <laughs> Everybody knows Neil. W8VPG, right? W8VPG, that's it. <laughs> and uh, he, was, he was thinking that they could possibly move the stem into uh, Building 5 and give them a little bit more elbow room, which uh, would bring a lot of the younger traffic and stuff like that into the building, uh, which would be interesting. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think there, there definitely needs to be something done with the little curation in the buildings to ensure that, uh, the traffic is pretty evenly, uh, evenly accounted for in all the buildings. Cause uh, I did hear a lot from the vendors and stuff like that. And they, they of course said it was a great show for them and, um, definitely up from the previous year and stuff like that. So, um, it would, it would just be nice if, uh, yeah. Building five could get just a smidge more, uh, smidge more traffic, uh, kind of organically with, uh, you know, a few, you know, specific vendor placements in there. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because I think we used to have like Palstar or something like that across from us, and there was a there was a weather station vendor on the other side. I don't know if they were there this year or not. Um, yeah, there was definitely some stuff that brought in more people that we did not have this time. But overall, I think it worked out pretty well. Yeah, but so, everyone was glad to see Kenwood back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Kenwood was back. They did have a smaller booth, but uh, they still uh, still were there showing their wares. So um, I like Kenwood, so that's that's good. Um, I didn't didn't stop through there. I just saw their booth. That was basically it. <laughs> any uh, any um, any specific visitors or anything else like that you want to mention? Oh, I don't know. We had visitors. Lots of lots of our supporters were there for sure. Lots of people who uh, said they listened to the show and. Um, pretty much just uh, drive-bys <laughs> in a lot of cases. Uh, Don, KC9ZMY, was there, but he's always there. <laughs> yeah. KJ5T uh, was there, right? KJ5T, yep. He hung out with us for a while. Um, um, was I just thinking, oh, Tom, N4AI was yeah. there. And for ha the menace stopped by and said hi. that's right yep um yeah so we had a lot of people stop by we had a few you know <laughs> if we didn't mention you it's not because we don't like you it's just <laughs> yeah, <poor laughs> memories. All day <laughs> mentioning everyone so <laughs> for sure we even had like a, an infamous person right or famous i don't know ham famous as we like to say uh stop by we had uh tom n1mm stop by a couple times yeah <laughs> we'll just leave it at that but uh he did stop by a couple of times and uh, talked to talk to both of us very very briefly but um um yeah it was a, it was an interesting uh, interesting uh, mix of uh, people talked to a lot of new people that were uh, interested in running linux or had tried linux and just uh, hadn't quite uh, gotten over the hump and uh, uh talked to one very disappointed user who uh was wondering about the 32-bit status of things <laughs> i said you know it's it's about time that you just need to give that stuff up <laughs> it's it's ran its course and i think every distro is uh, pretty much uh, running away from it yeah you can probably find some stuff but uh um yeah you're, you're losing so much mainline support that it's it's starting to be not really a viable thing to do unless they're just you know having them do like single utility and just custom compile stuff for them and just walk right. away from those boxes and stuff like that. Use them like a raspberry Pi or something, you know, um, use it and forget about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's still some support for 32 bit architectures out there, but yeah, at this point it's, it's, I think we can officially say it's time to move on. So, Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that's all I can think about from Hamvention. I, I really, I, I really enjoy the show. I mean, it, we calculated it was our eleventh appearance there as Ham as Linux in the Ham Shack. So that was kind of a uh, a good mark. Yep, there we have had a couple of uh, interruptions, um, and of course, Hamvention itself had an interruption. So, but we we first went to Hamvention in 2010. This of course is 2023. So there were three years in there where we weren't there once because we didn't make it and twice because Hamvention didn't make it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but sure that than, counts, right? <laughs> <laughs> we were there in spirit with them. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, it's pretty good. So we're looking forward to number 12 and we hope we'll see everybody there next year. But I, I don't really have anything else. Yeah, let's move on to our topics then. All right, I'm putting I'm putting some listeners in. Some some folks actually showed up on this Memorial Day weekend to to hear us live. So amazing. PA1SOK. I wonder what time it is where PA1SOK is. 
So <laughs> I'm not sure where Papa Alpha is. That sounds like uh, Belgium or something, maybe, or um, somewhere Eastern Europe, maybe. Or am I way up? I may be completely off on where that is, but the Netherlands. Oh, it was close. Hey, surprisingly close. <laughs> So, all right. Well, thanks, everybody, for showing up here. We'll get down to, to who all is listening in a little bit when we wrap up the show. But let's go ahead and get into our topics. And uh, these are all ones that I found. So Bill's going to be cold reading the whole night. So we'll just let you start off with a, with a cold read of this first one. So. Alrighty, so this is the DQRM RFP project. Uh, the Northern California DX Foundation recognizes the negative aspect, deliberate, uh, no, negative aspect, I'm already messing it up, negative aspect, deliberate QRMers are having on our hobby. Uh, we believe this is a problem and that can be mitigated by, by applying amateur radio operators' vast knowledge and receiving tools to good use. In order to spur research into solving this problem or the problem, the NCDXF board of directors at their latest board meeting allocated $100,000 to help develop solutions. NCDXF, oh, oh, geez, I just scrolled and missed up. NCDXF will entertain grant proposals from individuals and or groups that specifically outline their approach to identify bad actors. A group of directors led by Craig Thompson, K9CT, and Don Greenbaum, N1DG, will weigh the probability of success of these proposals as well as monitor the progress of the grantees. Funding is available for R&D as well as implementation of the technology. It is hoped that manufacturers will also assist us with equipment and resources. Uh, NCDXF will shortly outline specifics for how to apply for these grants. Uh, and of course, that came directly from the uh, Northern California DX Foundation. And you can find out more information in the show notes. Yeah, very good. Sounds interesting. We we talk about the uh, ARDC and all of their grants and stuff. And I saw this and I was like, ooh, some other people are, are giving out money. And this looks like it could be for a good purpose. I don't know if they're specifically focusing on California or, you know, sort of worldwide. But either way, removing QRM can only be a good thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, th I think with all the plethora of uh, SDRs out there. I mean, there's definitely some ability to uh, start doing some, you know, triangulation of signals and whatnot. Uh, so at least, you know, at least you can do it by power, I guess, uh, unless the uh, antenna is known which direction it's pointing, if it's not like a dipole or, or loop or something like that. <laughs> yeah, very good. So put everybody's going to get their fox hunting skills put to the test and get paid to do it. So there you go. All right, moving on in amateur radio topics. I, I think we declined to say that these were amateur radio topics, but it should be obvious at this point. Uh, the second one is UK considering eLoran broadcast licenses. And I looked up what eLoran was. It's like extended long-range navigation. I think this is what it is. Uh, the United Kingdom Spectrum Agency, Ofcom, is seeking comments on its proposal to issue licenses for broadcasting eLoran signals and services. This initiative comes, it says, after the agency was, quote, approached with a request to authorize use of the 90 to 110 kilohertz spectrum for the provision of long-range navigation systems based on eLoran technology. Issuing licenses could be a way to treat all interested parties fairly. After briefly describing the importance of partitioning, navigation, and timing, PNT, or PUNT, <laughs> punt punt services let's go with punt uh services to modern life the ofcom request for comment observes quote satellite-based punt systems like the global positioning systems or gups can be <laughs> that's gps can be susceptible to interference and can be vulnerable to space weather events the eloran technology provides a terrestrial based alternative which could be in the future 
which could, in the future, act as supplementary or backup systems to GPS. Close quote. Until now, with a few minor exceptions, only government entities and those working on the behalf, their behalf have been authorized to use the frequencies. Such licenses would authorize holders to broadcast ELRN in the 90 kilohertz to 110 kilohertz band, which is the portion of the spectrum reserved internationally for radio navigation. Unconfirmed reports from amateur radio operators in the United States seem to indicate that testing of LoRaN-like signals in the 90 kilohertz to 110 kilohertz band has been conducted in North America periodically over the last 10 years. While a national strategy for PUNT has been promised for years and is yet to be published, a cross-government PUNT office has recently been established. The UK is in a great position to lead the world on resilient PUNT, quote-unquote, <laughs> said one observer at the recent Royal Institution of Navigation event, the Royal Institute of Navigation. Wow. <laughs> the, the British like to make things seem very, very <laughs> elite. Um Quote, Britain could be the world's leading producer of resilient punt tech stacks that includes ELORAN transmitters, receivers that use GNSS, ELORAN, and other signals or phenomena. Wow, we're transmitting phenomena. And all the supporting gear and IP to make it all work. End quote. So, interesting. I don't know what half of that's about, but <laughs> it, it sounded cool. And there were a lot of acronyms, which means it's all fancy and stuff. That came from GPS World, by the way. It's a That's a publication I had never heard of until today. So Yeah, that's a new one to me. I mean, I know what Loran is like. I mean, that they use that for you know, airplanes and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I don't... I, I thought they were, like, discontinuing the use of all those Loran stations, at least that I'm aware of, because... They're using GPS for everything. <laughs> well, apparently GPS has its problems. Not not that I've ever encountered. Well, unless you're following Apple Maps eight years ago yeah. into a lake, uh, but that's a, that's a problem with uh, Apple Maps, not with GPS. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, your airline doesn't follow Apple Maps to get to the next airport because, like, you're pretty much SOL. Hopefully, <laughs> they've got most of those bugs worked out. So there's there's not a lot of people driving off overpasses or into um, you know levees or anything anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway it's kind of an interesting topic and uh tangentially amateur radio related so always a yeah. good thing. yeah since they had a comment on it you know those amateurs always have something to say about everything right <laughs> right all the radio spectrum they're gonna jump in somewhere so i, I say they we're gonna jump in somewhere yes all right <laughs> we are we are they so next uh this one was kind of a stub topic so i might flesh out some of this when you get done with it but go all righty Cool. This is our last topic in the amateur radio segment, and this is Project Boondock Echo. Uh, is it like the TV show, right? Boondocks? Anyway. Uh, not in any way that I can think oh, of. Oh, okay. So here we go. <laughs> Project Boondock Echo is a distributed store and forward system for remote radio communications. The project is at the point... Oh, sorry. The project is at a point of pre-beta testing where devices will be sent out to a couple of people for two weeks of testing. After they find some bugs and make the necessary fixes, they'll do a limited run of 20 or so units that will go out to beta testers. If you're interested in participating, head over to the project page and drop them a line. License, licensed amateur radio operators only at this point, please. Uh, the project uses commercial off-the-shelf handheld radios and a microcontroller-based internet gateway to receive and store messages on a server where they can be queued for playback locally or through a remote repeater. 
This solution allows increased communication in mountains, mountainous terrain and with limited capital expenditure. Radio operators can capture traffic during a pileup, monitor multiple frequencies of interest, and replay important messages. The proof of concept for the Boondock Echo is complete. The project's goals, including several stretch goals, are implemented and working. Denoising, text-to-speech, speech-to-text, messaging queue, or message queuing, half-duplex communications, user interface, etc. And this came from Hackaday. And, of course, we also have the uh, GitHub linked in the show notes. And what do you have to add to this? Well, I just wanted to say that there's a bunch of information on the GitHub page, including YouTube videos that sort of explain this thing. But it's basically like hooking a radio to a small, um, I don't know if it's a Raspberry Pi, but something similar where it can just be opened up to listen sort of wideband, like on an SDR, to multiple frequencies or just be listening to specific frequencies and sort of capturing and aggregating all of the transmissions for replay or, you know, data mining or whatever later uh, so that you don't miss anything is kind of the idea to uh, enhance emergency communications or uh, just help with uh, ferreting out a bunch of simultaneous signals that would be hard to distinguish with, uh, you know, a single operator or something like that. It doesn't look like the code is for Linux specifically, but it is open source. It's uh, posted on GitHub, obviously. And there's a lot more information there and a lot more to this article. So just wanted to flesh it out a little bit. Yeah, that sounds good. Sorry, I was just looking at the code real quick to see what it was. <laughs> Is it all like, uh, looks like C maybe? Yeah, looks like C. I, I saw stuff in there about building with Visual Studio and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, it's not, uh, not a Linuxy thing necessarily, though. It, I think somewhere in there it said something about... Oh no, that's a later later story. No, I'm, I'm oh, okay. right. yeah, it's mainly uh, it's half C, half C plus plus, basically. So interesting. So it could be could be written for Linux or something, or you know, at some point. But yeah, it doesn't it like like it provides a web interface of some sort. Yeah, so it looks like you probably just spin it up on a server. So, so it probably right. would be Linux. Yeah. So another interesting project sounds good. It's been around for a little while. Obviously, they've been crowdfunding and stuff, and now they're getting to a point where they're looking to uh, to release and beta test. So. I'm sure we'll be hearing more about this in the future. Yeah, interesting. All right, and now we're moving into some open source topics. And the first one is Wine and Wayland take another step closer with more code merged. The Wine Wayland native drive to support running Windows applications directly atop Wayland rather than having to go through X11 X Wayland remains a work in progress, but it's great to see more code being upstreamed. Hopefully by the Wine 9.0 release in early 2024, there will be solid native Wayland driver support. This merge request introduces the driver mechanism to handle dynamic events from the Wayland compositor using WL underscore output events as the guiding use case, i.e. we want to update the Win32U display settings with the host setting when the host settings change. In this design, we create a dedicated thread to read and dispatch Wayland events received from the compositor. If a Wayland event handler wants some code to be run in the context of a particular um, HWND, not sure what that actually is. There's no clarification on that one. Uh, Thread, it can add an interval event to a custom queue we have for each GUI-enabled thread. The process events driver callback processes internal events from the queue. In order to wake up waiting threads, we use a pipe to notify about new internal events with the read end acting as the thread's host queue file descriptor. Holy crap, I didn't realize there was (laughs) all this tech talk in here. 
this is similar to how winemac.drv works. Why is this actually needed? That's a good question after hearing all that. Well, currently, Wine uses X11. And so for anyone running Wayland, it will then be run through X Wayland, which is basically X running under Wayland like a compatibility layer. So the end result should be for users on Wayland, which will eventually be for everyone. Yeah, sure. Wayland will be <laughs> usurped by something else before it comes into you know <laughs> its own. To have Wine work without the X Wayland layer and have it all work nicely far into the future. Sure. Okay. <laughs> well, you, might, you know, since my uh, since my uh, my doubt, but <laughs> well, you know, I hear more and more, and of course, this came from gaming on Linux. Didn't want to miss that. Um, I hear more and more that uh, you know, yeah, X is dead. X is dead. Um, there, there's been no significant updates to X, and that's kind of like the the problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah, the future is Wayland, than the current. The now is Wayland. Um, X Wayland's just a band aid to get all the apps running through it. Um, but like, yeah, you should be running Wayland by now for all you barrier users, right? <laughs> Has that ever been fixed? Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. X is, X is essentially, essentially dead. <laughs> so. Yeah, probably dead for some time, but Wayland hasn't exactly been stellar. And like I said, you know, I'm still using Barrier, and I asked if they fixed that problem. Have they fixed that problem? I have no idea. Yeah, I don't either. So <laughs> until Barrier supports Wayland or the other way around, uh, still using X. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm still running X. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm just as evil. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still running X because I'm still running Barrier. So. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to look at that. Anyways, uh, our next story <laughs> is a video game one. Oh, we're just going to keep on gaming here. Look at this. Gaming. Uh, n- yeah, Nintendo hits Valve with DMCA against the Dolphin emulator release. Ooh. Back in March, the plan was announced for the Wii and the GameCube emulator Dolphin to be to release on Steam, along with some useful Steam features, but now that seems unlikely to happen. The Dolphin team has now announced that their Steam page was taken down as Nintendo sent a DMCA takedown notice to Valve about it. Here's the statement they released. It is with much disappointment that we have to announce that the Dolphin on Steam release has been indefinitely postponed. We were notified by Valve that Nintendo has issued a cease and desist citing the DMCA against Dolphin's Steam page and have removed Dolphin from Steam until the matter is settled. We are currently investigating our options and will have more in-depth response in the near future. We appreciate your patience in the meantime. Such a shame. I'm I'm assuming this is their commentary. You're back out now. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, back out. There you go. Such a shame. Why now, though? Dolphin has been around since 2003 for GameCube, adding basic Wii support in 2007. So Dolphin was there during the time the Wii was still being fully supported. Nintendo only Oh, sorry. Nintendo also only went after the Steam page, not the project as a whole, as it can still be found on GitHub and the official site. According to a comment from the Citra developer on Reddit, it's due to Dolphin including decryption keys with the project. Really, it's not going to do Nintendo much good. It's put Dolphin all over the all over the news, and even more people will now know about it and end up using it. And this came from Gaming on Linux as well. How about that? <laughs> Someone was in a gaming mood today. I was in a gaming mood, yes, <laughs> but there there were also not a lot of other topics. So. <laughs> and the, you know, it's open source. It's talking about Steam and stuff. So 
good stuff, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I've I've actually I think I've used the Dolphin emulator once too. I, I haven't. I don't think I have it installed right now, but I have used it in the past, and it it did work pretty cool. All right, I have not used it, but I I've used other Nintendo emulators. So, well, maybe it is Dolphin in the back end. I don't know. Could be. So it probably do a lot of is. E stuff. Though. <laughs> it's on your retro box, right? Whatever your uh, retro. Yeah, game but well, yeah. I guess uh, I guess the GameCube emulator must use it. I don't have uh, I don't have an emulator for Wii, but I do have one for GameCube. So. Yeah, probably is Dolphin. Probably is. All right, so this next one, yeah, okay. (laughs) Strap in, I guess. Uh, Microsoft has made Azure Linux generally available. Mm -hmm. After using Azure Linux internally for two years and running it in a public preview since October 2022, Microsoft this week finally made its distribution generally available. Azure Linux is an open-source container host OS for the Azure Kubernetes service, AKS, or AXE that is optimized for Azure and aimed at making it easier for developers to use Microsoft tools to deploy and manage container workloads. According to Jim Perrin, Principal Program Manager for Microsoft Azure Linux, Azure, uh, Azure Linux allows us to have a very defined, very opinionated Azure focus and to tune the components of the distribution to be exactly what we need to support a container host. The very opinionated part of that means Azure Linux's primary role is as a container host for Axe. It's optimized for Microsoft Windows Hyper-V hypervisor and runs in a virtual machine, supporting both x86 and ARM. That said, it's got some broad applicability. Quote, the Azure Linux container host provides reliability and consistency from cloud to edge across the Axe, Axe HCI, and Arc products, Microsoft wrote in a support page. Quote again, you can deploy Azure Linux node pools in a new cluster, add Azure Linux node pools to your existing Ubuntu clusters, or migrate your Ubuntu nodes to Azure Linux nodes. End quote. The lightweight nature of the distribution is a key point. The small footprint includes a 400 megabyte core, image, and 300 packages, which Microsoft said works well for both performance and security. Security was a focus, Perrin said in a blog post, noting that all updates to the OS are run through an Azure validation test, and the suite of tests is constantly updated. And he also says, quote, Additionally, since there are far fewer packages in the container host, the volume of required security patching is lower, and these issues are patched promptly as well, end quote. We closely monitor and fully curate the software supply chain, which enables a greater assurance of quality and resilience end-to-end. So there you go. Microsoft Linux in the Microsoft Container Linux in the wild. Ooh. How long before you we get Azure Linux out on the desktop? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, you can do it now if you've got Hyper-V. Oh, so. interesting. Well, might have to try that out. <laughs> I have Hyper-V running on my Windows machine, so I could I could try Azure Linux and see what it's like. Sounds pretty, really, really basic, though. I don't know what kind of support it has for, like, you know, built-in applications or, or downloading applications and stuff like that. It might be... It might be just for data processing and clustering and may not have a lot of uh, additional functionality, but it is out there in the wild and you can try it if you want. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, it is what it is. We have to report on everything. <laughs> Embrace extinguish? What? No, never mind. <laughs> this is pretty dense, this this thing, and I cut it down as much as I could, but um, uh, give it a run through, I guess. Oh, okay. I'll go ahead and give this is our Linux in the Hamshack segment. I don't know if you cut out for me or what. <laughs> if you oh, what? I, I did say that. Did I cut out for you? Yeah, you were out for just a second, so you came back in. Anyway, yeah, this is a Linux in the Hamshack segment, and this is the Wavelet Lab USDR, or micro SDR, is a tiny SDR with web-based interface. 
Uh, Boston-based Wavelet Lab is aiming to bring a software-defined radio to a broader audience, combining a drop-in M2, M.2 SDR radio module with a browser-based interface, complete with the ability to quickly share recordings and even the radio hardware itself with friends and colleagues. Quote, uh, USDR is an embedded software-defined radio board that targets ease of use and collaboration, end quote. Its creators claim, quote, the USDR plat- web platform makes software-defined radio accessible to everyone, providing an easy starting point from which to learn and prototype, end quote. The WebSDR platform itself is designed to offer all the features commonly available with the desktop software-defined radio applications, including tuning, spectrum analysis, IQ recording, and decoders, including FM radio. In addition to being able to share recordings, Wavelet Lab promises to support sharing a single USDR device among multiple users through its cloud platform. Quote, we developed USDR, a straightforward hardware solution that leverages web USB technology so you can operate it through your web browser, which efficiently eliminates installation, configuration, and compatibility hassles, end quote. The USDR module itself is based on a compact M.2 2230 layout with an with A key and E key compatibility, built with components on, on the top side only to reduce its overall height. The device has a Lime Microsystems LMS 6002D SDR chip with full duplex receive and transmit. Uh, and includes a clock stable to claim to a claimed 0.5 parts per million. Uh, Glue Logic is provided on an, an AMD Xilinx, Xilinx, sorry, Xilinx Artix dash seven field programmable uh, field programmable gate array or FPGA with an MHF four connectors for external antennas. Uh, the company is preparing to launch a crowdfunding campaign for a USDR hardware and associated web SDR platform on CrowdSupply with interested parties advised to sign up for notification when the campaign goes live. Uh, for those who are already well-versed in SDR technology, the USDR module can also be used with GNU Radio and SOAPY SDR-compatible software. And this came from Hackster.io. Hmm, interesting. I don't know if yes. you want your uh, your web... <laughs> your web SDR to be transmitting <laughs> if it's open so you'd have to lock that puppy down yeah you you hit on one of the two main points that, that i took out of all the the gobbledygook in the middle there was the fact that this is a transceiver not a receiver and that it currently or will support gnu radio and soapy sdr so there therein lies all the open source stuff you don't even have to use all their their web-based ui stuff if you don't want to you can use applications you're already familiar with so it still might be a good option for those who are trying to get into SDR without understanding all the underpinnings of uh, the technology and stuff. So, so it can be used in both ways, and I think that would be beneficial. So that, that's all we've got for topics for tonight, which I guess at this point is probably a good thing since I seem to be dropping out. But um, I guess uh, we move on to the next thing, which would be announcements and feedback. And since Hamvention is over, our announcements are, are like non-existent at this point, uh, other than hopefully we'll be recording on a regular schedule at this point going forward. And uh, no feedback that I could find. I went through uh, all the all the YouTubes and the emails and all that stuff and uh, didn't find anything. So oh, I thought not, you said you I, had some feedback from the last episode. Did I have some? Oh, man, because I couldn't find it in my email. Oh, okay. Well, maybe uh, we'll find that and go over it next next time. <laughs> I, I will look for it. If I said I had some, then I probably do, but I'll have to go dig for it. I, I did not find it today. 
So no worries. No worries. All right. So um, I read the last story. So I guess that means you get to do the, the new subscribers and supporters and stuff this time. This, this will be different. <laughs> yeah. So this is our new subscribers, new supporters and live participants uh, for subscribers and Patreons. We have Sterling and zero SSC. Welcome. Uh, welcome who, who we also saw at hand mentioned. We forgot to mention him, but yes, we did see Sterling a couple times. So well, at least I saw him a few times. Yeah. <laughs> we did chat with him on setup day and stuff like that. So yeah, very awesome to see Sterling. And he did stop by the booth on Friday, I think it was Friday or Saturday. Yeah. So I think I thought it was Saturday, but I don't know. It's all a blur. Yeah. One of those days. Uh, And Facebook, we have added Naked Farms or Naked Farms, maybe with the space between the N and the Naked. Mark Henriksen. Uh, We have the Ozaki Radio Club in Wisconsin. Uh, Adil Ayui. Ron Rosan. Fred Zabo. And Grace Galactica. In Twitter, we have at Rittenhouse. Uh, we have at Pi, P, Papa Yankee 2, Bravo India Lima. And we have at KWF Dave. Um, yeah, hang on. Um, I disconnected. Um, just go ahead. And, I'm, I'm assuming since you were connected that Alistair has it all. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it hasn't, he hasn't disconnected. So. Yeah, all right. So Okay. We'll just play. January. <laughs> Instagram, we have uh, Papa Yankee 5, Yankee Mike. Uh, on as well, we have um, L-U-H-Y-E underscore radio dot club dot D-E dot Los dot Andes. Uh, on Mastodon, we have Iamo, Echo India 7, Lima Charlie, uh, Zilvis, Lima Yankee 2, Sierra Sierra, and 64 Mike. On YouTube, we have William, Whiskey Charlie 8 Kilo, and Al Rubio. On the mailing list, we have Ken, Kilo 9, Lima Delta Oscar. And on Discord, we have oh, we have a whole bunch on Discord. Welcome everyone. AB8RG, Greg, uh, W8ALZ, Brian, Incog, GSP, S Pud Gunman, Spud Gunman, Spud Gunman, like I guess a potato Spud Gunman, uh, Abbott, uh, KD8IOU, Brian, Demon Sleeve, Peyton, Stocking, PA1SOK, who joined us briefly uh, as a live participant, uh, William, WC8K. Uh, NSGIXGZ6765. Got to fix that name there. <laughs> S54B, uh, Vitamin C, Discape, and Victoria, K8VSY, who just joined today. Uh, live chat, we have Mike, K6GTE, Ted, WA0EIR, Stocking, PA1SOK, Darren, VK6EK, and Steve, KA7HVT. Welcome, everyone. Uh, Don's in there, too. KC9ZMY, I see oh, him. We missed one. Don. <laughs> yeah, he must have just popped in within the last few minutes. So, But yeah. welcome, Don, and everyone else. <laughs> All right. Well, since my setup has apparently gone craptastic here, <laughs> you should probably go ahead and cut and run while the cutting and running is good. So with that, I go. I guess we'll go ahead and close this one out. I do appreciate everybody coming back and listening to us again. Uh, if we saw you at Hamvention, uh, thanks for stopping by. Really appreciate that. And we look forward to catching you all again there at next year's 2024 Hamvention, which hopefully will be just as awesome as the last 11 we've been to. In the meantime, hope you have a great week. And the next one will, of course, be a weekender. So uh, make sure you have your drinks handy and uh, be in some comfortable place, uh, hopefully where the weather is good. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. 
and we'll catch you next time. This has been episode number 505 of Linux in the Hamshack. And for the unassignment, hopefully for the last time in a while, Cheryl, W5MOO, I'm Russ, K5TUX. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at one 909 lhs show that's one 909 visit the online lhs merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show themed merchandise until next time remember to always heed your hedonism <laughs> <laughs>